Welcome to Backstage at the Enharmonic. My name is Sean Kennedy. Today's guest is Michael Kurth, bass player with the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra, composer, and faculty member at Emory University. In the spring of 2015, I was fortunate enough to play with Michael and the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra when I was substituting on drum set for a Motown show. I was only in Atlanta for a weekend, so I didn't have much time to talk to Michael about his upbringing, his inspiration to play bass, or what made him become a composer. Exactly one year after our performance together, we finally had a chance to connect on this podcast. Michael, thank you for taking some time to answer my questions today. Certainly. What are some of your earliest musical memories growing up around your house? Oh, boy, earliest musical memories. Um, probably um, my brother's record collection, my older brother. Mm-hmm. Um, and he inspired me to uh, start making a, a collection of Kiss albums. Sweet. Um, so it was probably the first, the first, uh, first records I owned were Kiss and maybe some Bee Gees. Okay. Um, loved pawing through my parents' record collection. They had my uh, my mom when she was younger had spent some time in um, in Guyana, um, and I got she had a lot of uh, folk music of of Guyana and Trinidad on LP, and I loved listening to that stuff. Awesome. That's very interesting. Yeah, I loved Kiss growing up too. I think we're about the same age, so uh, Kiss was a big influence on me as well early on. Was it the Kiss and the Bee Gees and stuff that uh, made you go gravitate towards bass? Um, no, I think it was just basically being the younger sibling and, and being you know, in in desperate need of attention. Uh, okay. The bass, the bass, the bass in the orchestra was you know it was the big, the biggest. It was the focal point. It was the uh, it was the coolest looking instrument. Um, Actually, the, the funny thing was, I, I really I really dug Gene Simmons, but I had no idea at the time that he was the bass player or what the bass player did. Um, I sort of um, backed into that knowledge. Oh, okay. <laughs> did you ever... Uh, he sings, too. Did you ever try your hand at singing when you played? At singing? Yeah. Um, I find singing when I play bass pretty difficult. Um, I think because they're, they're, um, they're too sort of horizontally linear processes. My the bass lines I play I, I try to keep it really melodic and to try to play a melodic bass line while singing is uh, I think a little too too challenging for me to do well. I can sing and, and strum a guitar. Okay. Um, but strumming is a more I guess it's a more vertical okay. process, you know what I mean? Right, right. Mhm. Interesting. So did you start on upright and then uh, eventually, because of necessity, go to electric, or did you start on electric and vice versa? Started on upright in in fourth grade in my school orchestra in Maryland, and you know I was the only bass player, and uh, I guess I was decently enough talented to be, you know, to stand out. But that's that's by bass player standards, which you know are, are not quite the same as violin standards. Um, when you're the only bass, it's easy to be the best one. Um, and as I got, I think about to seventh grade, I started to get interested in bass guitar. Uh, once I, you know, once the, I started being a little more analytical about the music I listened to, and realized that 
you know, this this big upright bass that I play can be made even cooler if you shrink it down and put a solid body on it. And um, so I picked up a bass guitar. I think the first bass guitar song, <clears throat> excuse me, the first bass guitar song I ever learned was a Jump by Van Halen. After that, I started getting into um, one of the one of the probably the the, the most profound early influences was, um, believe it or not, the Blues Brothers soundtrack. Yes, I saw I'm that right movie there and, and and just loved loved all the music, the R and B and the gospel, and um, got the soundtrack. Learned to play along every song. Was that um, so Duck Dunn? Was he the bass player on that? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that stuff. Incredible. And last year, when I got to play that Motown stuff with you, I had known of you as a composer first uh, before I came down to Atlanta. And then when you were on electric, I was like, man, like you really laid it down, man. It was like some serious electric playing. So that was a thrill to uh, be able to play a couple concerts with you on electric, which is you, amazing. You flatter me. You were really popping and laying it down. So kudos to you. It's great. Thanks. You're also a very active and acclaimed composer. So when did you start getting into composing or thinking that you could actually, you know, write something and other people might like to play it? Um, I've always, uh, I mean, probably since about fifth or sixth grade, been interested in writing music. And of course, the stuff I wrote back then was was very, you know, juvenile. Um, didn't make much sense, but it was, it was you know, um, I, I read this... Um, really beautiful, inspiring quote by Ira Glass, the host of um, This American Life. Mm-hmm. It talked a lot about how no creative person is satisfied with the first few years of their output, but you have to go through that phase until you get good. And you, 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 keep, you keep pushing through the process knowing that you're disappointing yourself at every step, but knowing you're getting closer to the, 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 the time when you'll be satisfied with it. Uh, so that's, you know, I, I, I pushed through wrote, you know, wrote not not assiduously, but occasionally, and took some composition lessons in college, and uh, decided I didn't didn't really want to major in it. I didn't didn't feel too comfortable about, about the whole process of deadlines, because I, I I guess I felt at that point that you need to be inspired to write, and I still feel that a little bit, but I think. I think maybe you need to be inspired to create, but you don't need to be inspired to work. Because the work is always there. There's always work to do, whether it's um, you know, creative work or editing or part preparation or organizing or promoting. Um, so anyway, back to your question. I got more seriously into composing about uh, eight or ten years ago. Um, I had written some uh, some little duets for cello and bass for for a friend of mine and I to play when we did symphony outreach concerts at you know elementary schools and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he dug those pieces and he's like, hey, I have a string quartet. Why don't you write something for us? And I thought about it and finally agreed to do it. And um, that was my first commission. A string quartet called Easy Listening. It was four movements and it's, it's uh, a cute little piece. And after that, the ball just started rolling. I, uh, I gave a demo uh, of the performance of that string quartet to my music director in Atlanta, Robert Spano. And he, he enjoyed it and said, let me commission you to write something for the symphony. And I thought he was kidding. I thought, man, that's really cruel. <laughs> um, 
time I saw him, I'd, I'd kind of look inquisitively at him. He'd be like, he'd reassure me, yeah, I, I really mean it. Write something for the symphony. So I've been writing for the ASL ever since. Um, they just premiered the the uh, fourth piece I've written for them a couple of months ago. And I'm on tap for another commission for 2017-18, wow. at which point um, they're planning on recording an entire disc of my symphony stuff. Wow, that's incredible. Congratulations. Yeah, very excited about that. It doesn't get much better than that, so that's incredible. Yeah, that's like the brass ring for composers. Right, exactly. Wow, man. That's incredible. So, again, congrats. It's a big deal. Thanks. So when you premiere a work or a work is going to premiere, do you have a preference? Like, would you rather sit in the audience and have someone else play it, or do you want to perform it yourself? I, I would rather not play. Um, okay. Actually, I'll, I'll, I'll forward you a, a blog post I wrote about this. Um, explains it um, probably better than I can extemporaneously. But the thing about playing is you're listening in a different way than when you're listening as an audience member or as a critic or as a as, as someone with, with a with a more objective perspective, like you know, mm -hmm. sitting in the center of, of a concert hall. When you're sitting in the bass section of an orchestra, you you don't hear a lot of stuff. You hear if you if you if you're very diligent and careful, you can hear what you need to hear. But as you know, the orchestra is not the best place to sit to hear. Correct. You know, if you sit in, in in the bass section, you hear a lot of trombones, and you don't hear any French horn, you don't hear any clarinet, you don't hear any second violin. Um, the violas are right in front of you. You usually can't even hear them. Um, so you know, when I listen to a, a work I'm, I've written for the orchestra, I want to listen critically to be able to make adjustments and stuff. So that, that necessitates not being on stage. I've got to be in the hall for that. And uh, and the other the other aspect of it is it's just exhilarating to sit in the hall and listen to the orchestra play it. I don't think I'd be able to focus and enjoy it as much if I if I were on stage. I think music music is is it's really only music if it communicates. And it's really only communication if the performers have something to say that you know hopefully resonates with inside them from what the composer wrote, and if the audience somehow resonates with what, with what the performers say. Um, so for for it to be true communication, there has to be a message transmitted and a message received, and that message can be you know anything. It can be you know at whatever depth or duration or or angle you, you want to approach it from. But I think the the audience in a sense makes it music. And I love being you know on both ends of that process. The original creator and the and the and the original you know the, the real time consumer of it. Besides your music and playing with the ASL, were there any artists out there that you're checking out now that you're kind of digging right now these days? Um, I'm, I'm, I go in phases. I'm getting really, I'm getting back into Tool lately. I don't know if you're a, a Tool fan. Mm -hmm. um, as a as a percussionist, you probably are. Right. Pretty aggressive uh, um, stuff. Yeah, it's it's aggressive, but it's it's um, or as my wife says, it's very testosterone-y. But it's also very, very well crafted mm -hmm. from a from a from a technical and from an emotional standpoint. I think I think the intensity that they play with is you know like it's not it's not punk rock. It's not like 
turn it up to 11 and smash things. There's a lot of restraint there, and there's a lot of precision, and there's a lot of um, really restrained intensity that um, that I enjoy. Um, I'm I'm always going to have a whole bunch of Tom Waits and Bjork in my in my rotation. Um, I think Bjork is one of the most brilliant and creative artistic forces, you know, of the past couple of decades. Mm-hmm. Likewise, Tom Waits, he's just a brilliant songwriter. I love the colors of his voice, but I love the colors of his orchestration, too, the production, the, uh, the, 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 the homespun quality of his production. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can, if you, instead of, I mean, don't get me wrong, I love great drummers on great drum kits. But if you're if you can bang on a on a on a beat up chest of drawers with a hammer, that could be very effective too. Precisely. Michael, thank you again for taking the time to talk with me today, and best of luck. And I look forward to that ASO CD coming out in the next couple of years with all of your works on it. Thanks. Been a pleasure talking with you. Okay. Thank you, Michael. Bye bye. Right, take care. The music for today's show was from the album The Music of Michael Kurth, String Quartets, performed by the Riverside Chamber Players. Follow the link below to purchase a copy for yourself.